In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As I mentioned in the talk a few weeks ago, I said that it's not correct to concentrate or emphasize some aspect of orthodoxy. For example, some people might just like reading, or some people might just like fasting, and nothing else matters. Some people like going to church, but that's all they do. Some people like to commune, but that's all they do. Some people like to uh, pray, and they think that that's the most important thing, and they ignore everything else. But in orthodoxy, for one to be healthy spiritually, a person needs to lead a balanced spiritual life. In other words, we have to do a little bit of everything. Those who ignore this instruction, which the Holy Fathers have also said is very dangerous, will fall into deception and lose themselves. I've met many who say to me that they love reading, or others that say they just like listening to talks, but they don't do anything else. So what happens is that those people slowly, slowly fall into deception because, yes, we receive grace from, doing, from listening to talks, we receive grace from reading, but we also receive grace from confession, Holy Communion, praying, fasting, coming to the church services. It is very important to come to the church services because God especially imparts his grace in the church. And Christ himself was an example that even though he was God, that he still went to the temple as was the practice of the Jews in those times on Saturday and listened to the readings and he himself even read. So when we are one-sided, then we're in danger. And there are people who hardly come to church or if they do, they go late, might just go for the Sunday only, forgetting that there are many other services in the church. Now today, we all heard in English the Vespers for Holy Protection of the Most Holy Theotokos. We heard the Paraclesis or the Meleben to the Most Holy Theotokos. And we also heard today the Akathist to the Holy Protection. There are many Akathists in the church. There's Akathist to saints, there's Akathist to Christ, there's so many to the Mother of God. Today, this was a special Akathist which was dedicated to the, this particular feast of the Holy Protection of the Most Holy Theotokos. During the Akathist, because it was in English and not in some language that people don't understand, most of you would have heard quite a lot 
And let me tell you something that at the monastery we have many services. And we try to read the canons as much as possible of the saint of the day. But a lot of times we don't have the life for that particular saint. Because I always like to read the life, I leave in a short description of the life before we do the service. So I've got an idea of what we're singing or what we're reading. And unfortunately there are some saints that we don't have any of those lives. However, by reading the canon, I pick up what the life of the person's about. Today, by listening to the Akathist, even if someone doesn't know much about what this feast means, just by listening to the Akathist, or those of you who have the book of Akathist, by doing that at home, even if we have no description of the feast day at all, just by reading the Akathist, we will pick up what the feast is about. And that's why, as I heard today, those of you who were listening would have heard a lot about this particular feast day. However, as I said before, we have to lead a balanced spiritual life. If we have a description of the feast day, then we should read it. That's why there are books called the Prologue, which has a little description of the saints of the day, etc. And there's, there's the Synaxarian, which is the book for every month, which has a, a, some short and some have them as detailed, the lives of the saints and the feast day. And it's very, very, uh, and, and it's a blessed practice for one to read a description of the feast if possible. That, that would be the ideal. So, for example, you're going to church and the, you know that the next day is the feast of St. Nicholas, for example. If you have a set of the Synaxarian or the Prologue, you can read that in the night before or in the morning, before going to church, to become familiar with that particular life, with that, with, with that saint or that feast. Now some of you might say, oh, I've read Saint Nicholas, so therefore I won't do it again the year after. It doesn't matter because every time we read, even when we read the same thing again, we learn, we're enlightened. For example, the priest, when he reads the gospel, or when the reader reads the epistle during the services, we've heard those many times. And even if we've heard the story of the paralytic, or the story of the woman who was bleeding, or the story of the possessed man, or the story of the paralyzed, etc., we hear those, those um, accounts continually when we come to church or Another balanced thing we have to do is to also read the gospel at home. So when we read the gospel at home, and we should read it every day, and when we come into church and hear it, 
It doesn't matter if we've heard it a million times because St. John Chrysostom says that just like you eat or because we ate a nice steak the night before, it doesn't mean we're not going to eat a steak in three or four days or one week time. And for those who are vegetarian, or because you ate a nice apple, doesn't mean you're going to eat, not going to eat an apple again later on. Depends on what everyone enjoys. So, just like we have to eat the same thing continually for the health of our body, in the same way we have to also feed our soul. We partake of the body and blood, some every week, some every fortnight, some every month. But that's all because we partook once. Does it mean we don't partake again? This is silly and we shouldn't take notice of those type of thoughts. So as I said, it's a little bit of everything. And those who do that will progress spiritually. Those who concentrate on one thing and become fanatical will lose themselves. And many have lost themselves. And I've, I've given this example before. It said that people say to me, for example, they say, oh, I've been coming to church for years, but I still feel hard-hearted. I still don't feel much. And there could be a number of reasons for that. But one of the reasons is because we're not leading, as I said before, a balanced spiritual life. And in that book that I read, it was very interesting, it says, just like a, a tap or, a, or, a, or some water that's dripping continually, dripping, dripping on a hard surface. Now we know that if we have a hard surface and you throw water on it, it makes no difference to the surface because the surface is so hard. It doesn't affect the surface. Water is soft, the surface is hard. And therefore, even a large amount of water won't do anything, but just even but drops of water especially will be insignificant. However, when those drops of water are continually dropping over years, it will without us even noticing, cause the ground to erode and it will cause like the um, a wearing away. And the fathers of the church said that's the same as our hearts, that when we have these little drops of water hitting our hard hearts or entering our hard hearts, like, for example, as I said, reading the gospel, going to church, listening to a talk, reading spiritual books, fasting, praying, partaking of the mysteries, etc. All those little drops continually, over a long period of time, will soften any heart. So... Let us not be deceived and think or listen to the devil when he comes along and says, what's the point? You're still the same. Let us, not, let us ignore that because God, especially today, does not allow someone to see their own 
progress. He hides their progress from them, from all of us. Why? Because we especially live in a time of pride. We are brought up in pride. We're saturated with it, whether from the television, from the school, from our parents that didn't understand what humility is about and therefore didn't teach it, being praised continually, you're, you know, to little kids, you're handsome, you're cute, you're beautiful, you're the best, you're fantastic, you're, you, no one can be like you. And continue, continue all these things. And at school, one and one is two, you get a stamp, two and two is as four, you might even get $10. So the, the, the continual praising has created people that are just proud and have no understanding of humility. So when someone who is proud does come to the church and they want to, to do well, they can't help this pride. They can't help feeling pride for everything. When they pray, when they do this, when they do that, etc., etc. It just it's continual. So the holy, the holy Optin elders describe it beautifully, and many of the elders describe it beautifully, where they say that God allows those people to be afflicted with passions, to be tormented by demons, to suffer from mental illness. Mental illness is very humbling. And sicknesses, etc., afflictions, misfortunes. God allows those things to happen so that the person is distracted and not observe himself or herself. The secret is you must keep on going, keep on doing those things that I mentioned before, all those little drops, 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 and the progress occurs without us knowing, and God does that out of his love so that we do not fall into pride, which we so easily do now because of the times that we live in. Some people are tormented by specific passions. Even St. Paul, who was very humble, but yet he really progressed so much that God allowed him to see visions and he was taken to heaven and he heard things that he said cannot even be said. He was converting nations. And what does it say? I think it was some in an epistle lately that he himself said, I think it was today's epistle, he said that so as not to think high of myself, God has allowed a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. And he said, I prayed three times to God to, for that temptation to be taken away. But God said, Christ said to him, in, in your weakness you are made strong. And then St. Paul says that this was allowed so that I do not think highly of myself and obviously for him to lose because even the saints, as I've mentioned before, they received many gifts, but they were scared when they received these gifts 
and many of them prayed to you, for God to take away the, the, the gifts that they were given because they were scared of pride. So if they were scared, imagine us that live in this period, in this time of pride for every single thing. And those Facebooks and all those things don't help because they promote vainglory and pride. So let us go to the story today, the, the account. It was in the year 9-11, on October the 1st, which was a Sunday, there was an all-night vigil in a church that was one of the greatest churches apart from Hagia Sophia. It was dedicated to the Mother of God. The church was full of people, and among them were St. Andrew the Fool for Christ, and his disciple Epiphanius, who was standing at the back. They were standing at the back of the church. Suddenly at four o'clock in the morning, St. Andrew saw the most holy Theotokos enter the church together with a great number of angels and saints. In other words, the prophets, apostles, martyrs, monastics, virgins and the righteous, etc., all the different ranks of the saints. The angels were chanting beautiful spiritual songs and hymns and, and especially St. Andrew could see among all the saints uh, two, St. John the Forerunner and St. John the Theologian that were standing on each side of the Mother of God. St. Andrew then saw the Most Holy Theotokos stand in the middle of the solea which is the raised part of the church in front of the altar. In the Greek churches, it's a, it's a larger platform. So we have this part, which is the raised part, where the altar is. Then we have another part, which is, goes towards the middle of the church. Then there's another part where the people stand. So St. Andrew saw the Most Holy Theotokos stand in the middle of the solemn. The Most Holy Theotokos then kneeled down for a long time and prayed with tears to her only begotten Son for the salvation of the faithful. St. Andrew then asked his disciple Epiphanius, My child, do you see the Queen and Lady of all praying for all the world? He replied, I do see her Holy Father and am struck with fear. After the Most Holy Theotokos prayed for a long time, in the middle of the church, as we said, she rose above the people on clouds, hence we can see that um, in the icon. She held her omophorion, which is what we call veil, and reverently spread it over the faithful that were present as a protective covering. So she stood up high and took her veil, but spread the veil in such a way that it was over the people. Remember, this is like a spiritual vision. Yeah. Um, during the time the Most Holy Theotokos stood there holding her veil spread over the faithful, the veil emitted radiant rays like it was like the sun. And it also flashed like lightning. It's, that was, it was the bright, and that obviously indicated the divine grace. The actual real veil of the Theotokos was kept in that church. It was in, it was in a casket. In the, I think, if I remember right, in the altar. And I think when it was checked, it was, it was um, gone and back again. I, I don't remember fully that, but that's okay. So, let's ask the question, why did she appear with the angels and the saints? 
because she invited them to come. The Most Holy Theotokos invited the angels and the saints to come with her. And the fathers of the church say, so they can assist her in praying on behalf of all the people. In other words, she asked them for their assistance so that her prayer, together with their prayer, can be more intense and move God to listen. And what were they praying for? The Most Holy Thought Talkers and the Saints continually pray, not only at that time, but continually, for our protection, that we might be freed from every misfortune and disaster, such as hunger, disease, earthquake, flood, wars. They pray for those who travel by sea, land and air, and those who are tormented by evil spirits. They pray for the poor, the orphans. We heard it all in the service today, and the sick. That's just to name a few. I just want you to remember that we might say, um, but there is, there is no war. Well, those that, those that lived through the First World War also thought that, and suddenly it came upon them, and it was a horrible war, and a war to end all wars, but obviously they didn't, they didn't learn. Those that lived in Russia would never have expected for them to have killed the Tsar and his family and for communism to come and Russia became just one big concentration camp. A lot of people didn't expect that. Nor did people really expect the Second World War as well. Those that lived, for example, in Bosnia during the, the war in the 90s, those Orthodox Christians that lived in Kosovo recently, those that lived in Belgrade where they were bombed. That's why we always continually ask the Mother of God for protection from all dangers and misfortunes. We might think because we can go into a supermarket and buy whatever we want and we kind of think that we will never live in a time where we can't do that. That's what we kind of feel. We'll be a bit spoilt and we believe that that won't happen when I went to Kosovo before the war, I uh, was in a, like another world there. I would go into a supermarket, this is before the war, and the shelves were empty. So even though I had money, my money was worthless. And then I wanted to catch a taxi to go from one monastery to another, so I'd go up to the taxi driver and say, you know, can take me there, and he goes, I can't, I've got no petrol. So I had traveller's checks, I had money, but it was worthless. So it was like I was not used to that. I'm used to how we have it here. So we always must think and ask the Mother of God for her protection in everything, including those things. Now, in that list that I just said of what the Mother of God prays for, for us and the saints, there was one thing that I left out which is the most important, and I already mentioned it above, but sometimes when we read things or listen to things, we miss important things. And what was that? I said it further on from the, from the account of the Holy Protection. It said, The Most Holy Theotokos then kneeled down for a long time 
and prayed with tears to her only begotten son for the salvation of the faithful. Yes, the mother of God and the saints pray for our everyday needs, physical, but most importantly they pray for our salvation. As you heard in the petition and in every liturgy and other services, for them that travel where the priest prays together with the people, for them that travel by sea, land and air, for the sick, the afflicted, for captives and their salvation. What's that tagging on at the end? And their salvation. The church is trying to say, yes, we do pray for those things. Like for those that travel by sea, land and air, for the, the sick, the afflicted, for captives, for the hungry, the poor, the orphans, etc. But, most important, their salvation. That's why it's put at the end of that prayer. But the fathers, and St John Christum, St Basil the Great, that put these services together, who, who knew, put the salvation of the soul. Today in the prayers that you heard, continually there was reference to the salvation of the soul. This is the main reason that she came with the angels and the saints. She wanted the angels and the saints to pray with her in order to move God more quickly to have mercy on the faithful. The mother of God has power to move her son and God. However, the orthodox teaching of the church says it's the intercessions of the mother of God and the saints which move God, especially his mother, but also the angels and the saints. They continually are begging God to show mercy on us. Yes, to help us in our everyday uh, needs and necessities and disasters, etc. But most of all, they are praying, begging God on their knees, as we saw, as we heard in that image there of the Mother of God in church, on her knees, begging her son not to punish us, even though we deserve it because of our sins, but to grant mercy, to forgive us and grant us salvation. I will end with a little story. Once someone spoke to me and he wanted to relate to me what he believes is incorrect in some, of the, in some of the talks that I give. It's very interesting. Didn't get offended, but it's just interesting. A professor. I always I was call them professors. Not that they're professors, but in their mind they're professors. We have many theologians now, professors. It's just the church is full of them, just about everyone, which reminds me of the Protestant church, because in the Protestant church, everyone's a pope. See, they went against the Pope because whatever he said goes. They formed another church and now everything that everyone says goes. That's the deception. So the professor went through a few things. And um, there's no need to go through them because I, I explained to him from the fathers and he got confused. But then, because, because this particular person thinks that they're very strict in their orthodoxy, 
and they're always careful of heresy and they're always watching out which priests are saying incorrect things. But the problem there is who gave him that authority and how does he know he's correct? How does he know if a priest says something, whether he's right or wrong? Just like as I've said before, I was in a Greek church many years ago and a woman came up to me and she was hysterical and she said that the priest commemorated the Pope. And I said, I didn't, have, I didn't hear any commemoration of the Pope. She goes, he did. He commemorated the Pope. Ecumenism and all these stupidities there, she was going on. She was, um, she was just close to pulling her hair. So she was, she was hysterical there. And then I said to her, so when did you hear it? Was it during when? During the petitions? When did you hear it? Because at the end. And then I understood, I go, at the end, when he was listing the saints at the commemoration, yes. And then he said, Pope of Rome. She said, yes. I said, he's commemorating a Pope, which was before the schism. We have many saints that are popes, like Saint Gregory the Great, who was Pope of Rome. Saint Leo was a Pope of Rome. They are all Orthodox saints. Anyway, she um, didn't show any humility because professors, it's very hard for them to show humility. This is where people are ignorant, they don't know, and mustn't set themselves up as professors. So this person then said to me something which was very interesting, which is to do with today. He said to me, I have a friend, and my friend says that unless the Mother of God prays for us, we can't be saved. And he started getting upset and started saying, that's not right, because Christ saves, only Christ saves. I thought I was talking to a Protestant. So he goes, only Christ saves. So I said to him, well, what does it mean by the intercessions of the Theotokos, O Saviour, save us? Or today, what did we hear? Most Holy Mother of God, save us. What does that mean? Why are our services, which have been put together by saints, and these services are not just conducted in this church or in one particular type of church, Greek, or they, these services are sung throughout the whole Orthodox world. For example, the Paraklesis that you just heard, I think was put together over a thousand years ago. Our services were put together by Holy Fathers. So I asked him, what does it mean? And he goes, I don't know. And I said, you know that you, without realising it, are actually blaspheming. You're actually saying a heresy. Because... Christ saves, yes. But I'm going to read you something which was um, written by St. Theophan the Branded, which is a 8th, no, 8th, 9th century saint. But basically what he wrote is what all the saints say. St. Theophan the Branded wrote that no one can receive the divine gifts of Christ except through his Holy Mother. 
And when he says the divine gifts of, of, of Christ, that means salvation as well. Except through his holy mother. Only Christ saves. But, in one of the prayers when you kneel down, it said there, the priest read, we are unworthy to receive mercy from him. We're speaking to mother of God. We are unworthy to receive mercy from Christ, but you move him to take pity on us, O mistress, for all things are made possible for you by him. That Christ has given her, the mother of God and the saints, this authority to pray. Yes, without their prayers, we cannot be saved. Ultimately, Christ saves, but through their prayers. That's an orthodox dogma. And I'll give you three, a few, three little worldly examples, since we're worldly, so we might as well listen to some. Um, but that always helps us. The first one is we have a house, and the house is mortgaged. We fall behind in the, in the payments. The bank's going to take it away from us. The manager of the bank, the big boss there, has decided to claim the house because the people can't pay. The people of that, that own the house run to the bank and speak to the lower downs there and say, please help because we've got children what are we going to do? Where are we going to live? It said you've fallen behind on your loan. So therefore you're deserved to lose the house. Just like we, you know, we fall into sin. So therefore we are deserved to go to hell. As that church teaches and we heard it today. And the people in the bank said it's not our decision. It's up to the manager. So the person who owns the house says, take me to the manager, I want to speak to the manager. They said, no, you can't do that. Manager only listens to us. Then you go and ask the manager on my behalf and beg him and say to him not to take our house. So she couldn't go directly, but she asked the lower downs to go and ask the manager to change his mind. So they felt sorry for the woman, or man, or whatever the family, went to the manager and said, can you please spare them? And the manager signed and decided not to take the house. That's one example. And the other example is if we're taken out, if we're in a little boat fishing and we're taken out into sea really far, far away. The boat's capsized, we're hanging there on the boat and we're left there alone. We just hope that someone will come past in a big boat, obviously, because a small boat wouldn't be out there in the first place and a small boat wouldn't be able to get back. It's got to be a large boat. And we want this boat that we hope that a boat comes past and sees us. But of course, obviously, 
It depends if someone on the boat sees us, one of the crew. So one of the crew, if he sees us in the water, then has to go to the captain and ask the captain to turn the boat around, go back and save the person. So it depends on the captain. But the captain wouldn't have known unless those who are the crew would have come and asked him. So that's the same as in the church. That's what the intercession of the saints, that's how God has ordained it. That's how God wants it. He wants us to... Um, he wants everyone to be saved, but he wants the salvation to occur through his mother and the saints. Mediators. And the third example, which is not a, sorry, not, this is not a world example, is the priest. Who forgives sins? Only God can forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. But yet, what did Christ do when he sent the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, which is not the birthday of the church, but the birthday of the priesthood, of the Christian priesthood, he gave the grace to the bishops and then the priests to be able to forgive sins. So that gentleman doesn't understand that he's actually like a Protestant. The Protestant says, why should I go and confess to a priest? I confess to God. But yet, all the church fathers and even Christ himself said, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you don't forgive the sins of, 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 of them, they won't be forgiven. Who's you? The apostles. And who did the apostles give that authority to? The other bishops, etc. And the bishops give it to the priests. Therefore, there we see that it's the bishops and the priests who are forgiving. So in other words, really, it's God forgiving through them. And it's Christ who saves us through the intercessions of the Holy Theotokos and all the saints. So let us not be deceived and let us not be professors because there's many professors, not many humble people today. A lot of proud people, people that are there judging and thinking that they know when the priest is wrong and when the priest isn't wrong. When we have pride, the devil blinds us. And therefore, the devil can make us think that someone is bad when they're not. And here's an example, St. Nectarius, that we've just been doing in, in the hall all these months. How many people, Orthodox bishops and priests, and Orthodox people, but especially the bishops, who were against him, who looked at him as a deceived person, who looked at him as a person who was worthy to be disdained, to be ignored, to be turned away, as they did. But he was a holy saint. So how did that happen? Pride. Where there's pride, the devil has the ability 
to blind the person, to confuse the person and make them believe that black is white and white is black. That's how much the devil has the ability. In one of the Holy Fathers there, the story, it's said there that um, they'll give an example about those who judge continually and are proud. He said there was a monk that lived in the desert, very judgmental, and he saw one of his fellow monks doing uh, inappropriate things with a woman at a distance. And he thought to himself, how can he be doing that? And he was disgusted, or judging, of course. So he walked up to the monk who was doing this uh, inappropriate thing, and he kicked him and said, stop it. Then he realised that what he kicked were two bushes. In other words, it wasn't even a monk and a woman, it was two bushes. And he believed that those bushes were the monk and a woman committing sin because the devil presented it like that and he believed it. So that's what happens to us when we fall into pride, when we don't cultivate humility, when we don't lead a balanced spiritual life. That particular professor, for example, the other one, he said that he reads all the Holy Fathers. All the Holy Fathers. But there's other parts of orthodoxy as well. And when we concentrate on one thing, then the devil doesn't mind if you read the Holy Fathers, or the devil doesn't mind if you do the biggest fasts. Because as long as we are focusing on one aspect in a fanatical way, then we fall into pride, and that's all he wants. So all of us, beware of that, and learn. All of us need to learn to pray to the Mother of God continually, but especially pray to her to protect us from pride, to help us at the hour of our death, that she be there, and that she guide us through the toll houses, that she protects us from the demons at the hour of death and thereafter, and that she stand next to us on the last day at the judgment seat and beg Christ, her Son and God, beg him on our behalf. That's why if you read the life of any Orthodox saint, Seraphim of Sarov, Saint Nectarius, all of them, they all had a special veneration for the Mother of God. If we read the life of a saint, supposedly, and we do not see that, then that person, that person is not a saint. Every single saint venerated the Mother of God, and every single saint begged her in all their needs, like we saw in the life of Saint Nectarius, and every single saint counted on her to pray for them at the hour of their death and at the last judgment. All of them, continually. And that's what we should do. Don't just pray for our children, for our houses, that's good. We pray for those things, for our job. 
to protect us from war, from all those things, that's good. But, especially when we pray to the Most Holy Mother of God and all the saints, for our salvation every day, even for one minute, just to do that prayer, we will be surprised that at the time that we need, at the time of our death, at the time of our departure, at our time when we are travelling through the toll houses, she will be there to assist us. Because she herself was scared of the toll houses and she has been given this grace to help all Orthodox Christians who are passing through those toll houses. And that's why, as I said, the saints considered themselves as sinful and continually prayed to her. You might say, oh, they weren't sinful because they were were holy. No, they fell into sins. They just knew how to repent. And especially what they knew is how to depend and trust in the Mother of God for their salvation. So let us imitate them. Maybe we can't imitate them in their purity and their virtues and their holiness, but at least we can just continually call out by the intercessions of the Holy Theotokos, O Saviour, save us. Amen.